Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Communications Project Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Before I introduce my guest, I would like to invite people listening to join us in Boston, February 19th and 20th at the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference. The website for that is www.northeastcannabisbusinessconference.com. And we hope to see you there. I will be doing a live podcast studio. Well, the show won't be live. Recording live on the expo floor with people in our little podcast studio. So I hope to see you there as well. And on to my guest, Omar Figueroa. He has law offices based in Sebastopol, California, law offices of Omar Figueroa. And Omar has also published a series of books documenting the legal evolution of California's cannabis laws. And he's also a new board member at the National Cannabis Industry Association for the 2020 to 2022 term. Omar, thank you for being on the show and speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So um, we were just joking before recording that there's another Omar Figueroa Jr. who's a boxer, but let's learn more about you, uh, the the legal lawyer Omar Figueroa. Let's learn about your background. Uh, tell me what kind of work you were doing, uh, how you how you were spending your time before getting involved in the cannabis industry. I was um, in law school at Stanford Law School, I guess it was how I was spending my time. And uh, when I was at Stanford Law School, I was focusing on freedom defense because that was the part of the law that was really compelling to me, representing human beings instead of soulless, faceless corporations. And so um, I, I had met a lawyer, Tony Serra, who like myself was a cannabis aficionado when I was in law school. And so I was um, really, you know, immersed in the Stanford cannabis culture. Stanford had a very thriving uh, counterculture. I remember when I was in law school and one day there's a knock on my door and it was a hippie girl from Santa Cruz selling blueberry outdoor bud, you know, nice. door to door at Crothers Hall. At, door to in door. Stanford. <laughs> And uh, most of the law students next to me were just like shocked that somebody would be doing it. You know, some were even like, should we call the police? What are you going to (laughs) do? And I was like, awesome, come on in and, you know, I'll buy a quarter. And, um, you know, that that was like my introduction to uh, Stanford, you know, which had like a very tolerant mindset and um, all these student cooperatives, which, um, you know, were uh, cannabis friendly. Um, And so it was, you know, 
I guess it was a heady time to be in law school. You know, I had gone from uh, being at Yale, which was like very serious and, you know, very intense to uh, going to uh, Stanford. And the law students were definitely very serious and very intense, but I was not serious and intense. I was, you know, pretty much, um, you know, ready for a break after four years of undergrad. Um, but I couldn't afford, like most kids could, to just take a year off. And so I just went straight to law school. And what I found at Stanford was like, you know, a very interesting counterculture. And so I was uh, one of the uh, law students who used to hang out with the grad students and the undergrads. And, you know, there was um, a society at Stanford, the Alpha Delta Society that had all sorts of interesting events, you know, in the foothills of the Stanford campus that involved cannabis and other entheogens. Uh, so I guess that um, prepared me for, you know, eventually becoming a cannabis lawyer. And the way that happened, uh, when I graduated from law school, I was not a good fit for all the corporate law firms that at that time were interviewing um, students. You know, I had long hair. I was a very interested in cannabis law. Um, and really the only type of cannabis law that one could practice at the time was defending people accused of cannabis uh, crimes. Mm -hmm. And so I um, started working with a group of lawyers in San Francisco um, after law school. And I um, started doing the lowest cases, which are the infractions, moved up to misdemeanors, and eventually I did felonies. And and unlike most criminal defense lawyers, or as I call them, freedom defense lawyers, um, I did not want to be a murder lawyer. I did not want to be defending the homicides. No, the, sounds the, awful. The, yeah, exactly. I don't want to spend my day thinking of how to get somebody off for whatever crime you know uh, that resulted in the killing of a human being. That right. was not really my cup of tea. Uh, but spending all day long figuring out how to get people off on these ridiculous cannabis offenses, that was super interesting. And I did that at, at a time when California law um, had changed. You know, when I started practicing, we had Prop 215 as a medical defense. And so before Prop 215, the only defense to a cannabis def offense, a cannabis crime, was my client didn't do it. After Prop 215, the defense was my client did it, and so what? It's medical. And so that really made litigation a lot more fun because now you had a defense to the charges, and it was new to most judges, um, and there was little case law. So it was pretty much a lot of questions of first impression, which uh, to a litigator is like fresh powder. You know, you have a maximum flexibility, you're not really constrained by all these like old precedents. And so it's really uh, a fun, you know, way to um, do freedom defense. And so over the years, I defended hundreds of cannabis cultivators all over California. Um, Got I it. In 30 different counties and um, that ended up being fun. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you just naturally had an inclination toward cannabis. And then when it came time to graduate, um, you just went right into that kind of work. And thankfully, going from the East Coast in Connecticut to 
the West Coast, super different cultures, absolutely. Still, still now, even in the modern modern day cannabis industry, you know, we're seeing uh, the Northeast start to roll out pro cannabis laws, but it looks a lot different than what the West Coast is doing. So um, absolutely it- different. Yeah, I remember going from uh, Irvine, California, you know, and I had been mm-hmm. exposed to the. Um, drug awareness resistance education dare program um, in high school and going from there to uh, Yale which was you know a little bit more conservative and I wasn't exposed to cannabis till later in my college years and then going from the shraggy uh, bud that we had at Yale to the incredible <laughs> flowers we had at Stanford right. and it was like a revelation you know because uh, Stanford was was very different it was still in California but it was so different than Orange County you know it was almost like um, you know the sense of freedom and you know really like um, you know at that time there there wasn't like um, you know the this prohibitionist enforcement by the Stanford authorities like there was at Yale. Like at Yale, you totally would get busted if you're smoking cannabis. At Stanford, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's that's uh, that's a really cool story about uh, going up through law school in in colleges and the different cultures. Uh, But today, I guess you stayed in California. You liked it. You're you're based in Sebastopol, where your law offices are. Tell me more about what the law offices of Omar Figueroa are up to and what's going on with, with your company in 2020. Yeah, we're basically a boutique law firm that engages in cannabis business law, and we do all sorts of transactions, including applications for licenses and permits, as well as help our clients with contracts and agreements of all types, as well as help them secure intellectual property protection Mm. through trademark registration at the federal and state levels, as well as trade secret protection plans. So for me, it's super exciting because you're dealing with with novelty all day long and these are all new questions of law uh, fresh powder you know f- from my perspective sure and and with adult use rolling out in california over the last year or so i'm sure your 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 clientele has expanded a bit uh yes before it, it used to be medical cannabis patients and and now uh the clientele is adult use as well like you mentioned and you know it's the most diverse clientele i think for a lawyer to have my my clients range from you know the um you know retirees who are looking for like a second part-time you know job that they don't really have to spend a lot of time on to um you know very organized together went to business school have mba entrepreneurs Mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, legacy cultivators who are hanging on and, you know, they have the most spectacular, amazing genetics that have yet to be discovered. Um, and so it's pretty interesting. You know, my, my clients are like very diverse. They're all highly intelligent and they're all very independent. So, you know. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's great. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break here, but then we'll be back to chat more with Omar Figueroa and learn more about the cannabis industry's legals, legal issues going on. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. 
Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and we've been getting to know Omar Figueroa, who is a lawyer based in Sevastopol, California, who represents the cannabis industry. Uh, So, Omar, you have your finger on the pulse of California regulations by now. And you even wrote the book on it, as I mentioned in the first segment, or several books actually. Uh, But this landscape is ever evolving as we hinted at. Uh, Do you have a sense of what changes are still yet to come in the cannabis industry, specifically in the state of California? Yes, we have um, some, I guess, late coming news on the um, statutory and regulatory front from the governor's office, uh, who recently announced that they're going to be simplifying the regulatory framework in California. And so this is going to require consolidating the three primary regulatory agencies into one new department. Uh, Currently, California doesn't have one regulatory agency that governs all commercial cannabis activity. Instead, it's split into the license type. So cultivators and processors are licensed and regulated by Cal Cannabis Cultivation Licensing in the California Department of Food and Agriculture. That seems um, a little overcomplicated. Very overcomplicated. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. I mean, there's reasons for it historically, and it was because cultivators wanted to uh, cannabis cultivation to treat it be treated more like agriculture as opposed mm. to be regulated mm-hmm. like you know enriched plutonium the way it is. Yeah. In, 
California supply chain. Right. And so that that's why we have a separate regulatory agency uh, for cultivators, which I understand the reason for it. But, um, you know, from a um, regulatory perspective, it med- makes it very difficult for the government to deal with three primary regulatory agencies. And that's not accounting all these other agencies that are involved in cannabis licensing. So growers have to also deal with the water board, with the uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife, you know, with a whole host of regulatory agencies um, in addition to that as well. And so it's very convoluted. Um, Sounds like a lot of paperwork. Cha- yeah, the, the change we're going to see is like my book right now that's about to be published, the 2020 edition that compiles all the call, all the laws and regulations that govern um, hemp and cannabis in California, it's probably going to be slimmed down a bit once they consolidate the three sets of regulations into one set of regulations. Mm-hmm. But for many operators who have spent, you know, the years just trying to get a, a handle on the existing system and really understanding it, it doesn't advantage them in the least. You know, now they're going to have mm-hmm. to um, start all over again. And so I'm hearing a lot of dissatisfaction with people who've been asked to, you know, become intimately familiar with a very complicated regulatory framework and, you know, three different sets of detailed regulations. And now they're going to have to start all over again. And so um, there is that regulatory fatigue in California. Yes, Uh, regulatory fatigue. I think that's a great way of putting it. I definitely hear that from our California members. Uh, So you're working on the 2020 edition of the book. uh, Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, when can we ex, uh, expect to, to see that ready to go? Uh, probably next week. It's actually um, going to be on February. Amazon. Great. Yeah, okay. very soon. Uh, we've been working to, to make all this information available to everybody in the California cannabis industry. And, you know, that includes regulators as well as operators and, you know, um, all the professionals involved in the industry so that, um Otherwise, it's very difficult to get. Like most people ended up doing what I did, which is printed out all the different laws and regulations into a binder. And then the binder just exploded, you know, and it was. And like, then you're putting it on the wall and you've got strings and pins and you're just trying <laughs> to figure everything out. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, it's it, pretty much pretty much that. Yeah. So it, the name of the book is very straightforward. It's California Cannabis Laws and Regulations. Great. So people should look out for the 2020 edition. Uh, if, if, especially if they're doing cannabis business in California. Um, and speaking more about California, um, you, you taught me something recently about Appalachians because I am not a lawyer. Uh, so from what I understand, much like champagne can only be called champagne if it's grown a specific way in the specific champagne region of France, California has a similar legal framework of this Appalachians for California wines. And it sounds like cannabis is kind of moving into these legal designations as well, if you could talk more about that. Yes. So in in California, the California Department of Food and Agriculture, which oversees cultivators, is required to establish a process for cannabis Appalachians by January 1st, 2021. So this year is when um, cannabis Appalachians will start finally uh, being finalized and there's going to be an opportunity for cultivators to propose official appellations that will be recognized by CDFA and um, these appellations are not just based on a geographical 
uh, origin, but they're based on specific requirements for how cannabis is grown in those appellations. Okay. And so it's going to be, um, you know, more than just like you can engage in conventional industrial agriculture in a particular county and now you get to call it, say, humble grown. It has to be done um, in a way that's, I think, reflects the environmental uh, sustainability principles. So does that range from like the type of nutrients or pesticides or other chemicals involved in the growing or whether it's, you know, vertically stacked or out like those, those types of things? Exactly. I think, you know, for, for people to um, be able to claim an appellation, they may insist that the cannabis be grown in the earth itself. It cannot be in plastic pots, you know, because then it's not really in, it could be anywhere. You know, interesting. Um, and so that, that those are like the debates that are currently happening in the community. At the same time, there's Humboldt indoor growers who are saying, no, you know, we've been growing indoor for decades. And there's something that is significantly distinctive about the way we do things and our conditions. And they're fighting for recognition as well. Um, and so, th- you know, that um, but we're going to see that developing. So by this time next year, um, that process will be finalized and, you know, will be well underway in California to see in cannabis appellations. And, wow. you know, the purpose of the cannabis a- appellations really is to um, create local value. You know, it, it will identify the geographical origin of cannabis products and then how the product was produced. Um, so like in Champagne, you know, you have to grow particular varietals a particular way within the geographical boundaries of that appellation and with cannabis the proposal is going to be there and there's like many um craft farmers you know these are artisans who've been growing cannabis for decades who really do produce superior cannabis that is like as much as a revelation for me it was you know smoking the east coast uh brickweed (laughs) and then going to california at stanford and just experiencing green buds for the first time you know it was just amazing it was glorious you know i think um we're gonna see that once these cannabis appellations start getting out there because there's so many like small craft producers in northern california who are just hungry to get to market you know they just don't have the because of lack of uh, financial access and lack of banking they don't have the resources to get to market right now. Um, and so they're hoping that, you know, Appalachians has, has the um, taste of the consumer mature, there's going to be like increased interest in Appalachians. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that also kind of begs the idea um, or begs the question about cannabis tourism. Um, and, you know, I might want to travel to Humboldt County and, go tour around and sample all the delicious cannabis. We've had a few failed starts here for the on-site social consumption side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if you can give a quick update on what's going on in California on the on-site social consumption and cannabis tourism side of things before we take a quick commercial break. Sure. In California, it's at its infant stage, we do have these really uh, world-renowned events like the Emerald Cup every year that yeah. are 
you know, adult consumption events where cannabis is bought and sold and consumed by adults 21 and over, you know, by the thousands. Mm -hmm. And so um, we do have a, um, these events that currently are there, but we have, we have just begun to see the beginning. So it's very exciting mm -hmm. in California because I foresee cannabis events that are pairing like, you know, a foodie cannabis event where you have right. like 20 different food trucks and a hundred different cannabis vendors, you know, um, and you oh, that add sounds amazing. Sign live me up. comedy, <laughs> exactly, and add a live comedy festival, and everybody will be guaranteed walks away happy, guaranteed. You know, uh -huh. I went to. Um, there's so many possibilities for cannabis events that are you know starting to uh, be developed, but um, the tourism industry in Northern California is well aware of the potential, and there's going to be conference in April that my law office is, is putting together. My brilliant colleague, Lauren Mendelson is like instrumental in trying to bring forth a, a lot of people to start thinking about how do we structure for cannabis tourism in California mm -hmm. uh, so that, you know, there's so much interest. There's already tourism, tourists who go to, um, who travel to California and want to experience everything and we have to make it accessible and we have to mm -hmm. make it genuine and authentic. Um, totally agree. All right, we have to take uh, our last commercial break here, and then we'll be right back to wrap up our conversation with Omar Figueroa. Please stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say, Razzie Berry, we're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle, get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. I mean, that's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling. With the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Welcome got to Cannabis Confidential. Oh, you got me again. All right. I got you again. You got me again. Welcome to Cannabis okay. Confidential. Ah! <laughs> hey, we did it. We did it. Yeah, Welcome. I have the coolest guest today. You guys already know. The one and only Tommy Chong. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. 
All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, chatting with Omar Figueroa, who is a cannabis lawyer based in Sebastopol, California. Uh, And I mentioned earlier in the show that you've recently been elected to NCIA's Board of Directors for the 2020 to 2022 term. Uh, so th- thank you for being involved with NCIA all this time as well and attending our conferences and our networking events. What brought you to take it to the next level this year and uh, get involved with NCIA's board of directors? Uh, the simple reason that NCIA is the preeminent cannabis industry organization in the United States and um, has been at the forefront for a decade. So uh, for me, it's an honor to serve on the board and I'm going to take the lessons I learned at the Wharton School, um, which I attended after I became a board member of the International Cannabis Bar Association. I'm going to take those lessons and try to apply them to the board at NCIA. Gotcha. Well, it's it's great to have you on the board. And uh, yeah, 10 years, it's true. NCIA was founded... 10 years ago in the year 2010 and now it's 2020 uh so we're we're doing a lot of reflection this year around the office we're asking some of our members to share where were you 10 years ago and could you have predicted what this industry would look like today in 2020 and then also if you have a crystal ball handy um take you know what what do you see 10 years from now even into the future for our industry in 2030. So I know that's a lot of the whole 20 year span of time to consider, but I'm curious your thoughts. Um, Yeah, so 10 years ago, I was defending cannabis cases all over California, which has brought me to like many different counties. And, you know, we were back in um, 2010, we were arguing the collective and cooperative defense. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it brings back a flood of memories and the cases all over. Many of them were very righteous and I was happy to wake up at three o'clock in the morning so I could, have, I could make it to court five hours away by, you know, 8.30 court. Wow. Um, and that was my life. And, it, you know, it was really fun for a young attorney. Um, but could I have predicted this? Not in this way. I, not at all. You know, it, to mm-hmm. me, um, I, I don't think I would be sitting where I am. I don't, I don't think I would have seen myself as having written um, three books and, you know, serving on boards and even going to Wharton. You know, back then I was uh, very anti-corporate, you know. And now that I'm learning more about uh, the corporate world, you know, I, I want to adopt all those all that idealism and, you know, start thinking about conscious capitalism. So I try to get my clients to think about social purpose corporations and B Corps Mm -hmm. and benefit corporations and start thinking about the triple bottom line. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great. And so where do I see the industry in 10 years? Hopefully I I see a a very um, sustainable, thriving industry that is focused on more than just quarterly profits. That is focused on what we call the triple bottom line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that provides like satisfying, stimulating jobs to people um, that, you know, is vibrant, that's accepted, that, you know, it's federally legal is what I see. And yeah. we'll see cannabis events for the first time where cannabis is enjoyed. Um, 
at the cannabis events themselves where people are not merely talking about them, but actually yeah. <laughs> consuming it. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see that in 10 years. And, you know, what form will it take? I'll probably be as surprised then as I am now. Right, right. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, as, as we're wrapping up here and in, in the last minute of the show, um, I, I encourage you, uh, NCIA members from California, uh, especially anyone on the West Coast, to start making plans to join us for Lobby Days in May this year. It's our 10th year as an organization going to Washington, D.C. every year. And every year more NCIA members join us. The last couple of years, we've had about 300 people, 250 to 300 people. And over the course of a couple of days, we meet with just about every single office in the halls of Congress and drop off policy information to help them make decisions to support um, cannabis reform law. And as you know, last year, uh, we made significant progress getting the Safe Banking Act through the the House of Representatives. So now, of course, uh, we just patiently await the Senate, um, who have been a little busy lately, um, <laughs> to take to take up the Safe Banking Act and get it to get it through there as well. Um, so we've run out of time, but uh, thank you so much, Omar. Where can our listeners find out more about your work? At my website, www.omarfigueroa.com. Perfect. And uh, that that book title we mentioned earlier as well. Um, is Cali California Cannabis Laws and Regulations 2020. Perfect. And it'll be available at your local independent bookstore and also on Barnes & Noble and Amazon online. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Omar. It's been a great conversation with you today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. Thank you for being the voice of the cannabis industry. <laughs>